The title of my sermon today is Brand New You. Y'all ready for a brand new you today? You ready for that? So Paul has been hammering away at the idea that you are alive in Christ, that the old you is gone, and now welcome to a brand new you. All throughout Paul's letters uh, and writings, we see that doctrine demands duty. So that so in chapters 1 and 2 that we've been learning all throughout uh, this series as pastors been walking us through it, now we're going to get to see how that kind of fleshes out in all of Paul's writing. After he goes through all of this theology, he shows us how to live it out every single time. So now, your salvation is not contingent on your obedience, but we see all throughout the scriptures that a genuine salvation results in obedience. It just very clearly does. And so let me just tell you, if you're not a believer in here today, we're glad you're here. Keep coming. Maybe you came with a friend or you just kind of stumbled in here because you saw a commercial or something, man, keep coming. But this text today that we're looking at really is for believers. Okay, so today when I'm hammering away at them, that's for them, okay? So if you're not a believer in here, really the only application for you is to repent and believe in Jesus and it's the best decision you can ever make, believe me. Okay, so let me get that out the way. So we change when and as we get to know Jesus. Our thinking and our lives are different as we walk in his spirit. So up to this point in the letter to the Colossian church, Paul has been repeatedly giving warnings to the church against these evil teachings and showing them, you know, because all these evil teachings that were kind of infiltrating the church was getting, was making them go away from their wholeness in Christ. So now today, Paul is going to show us how to have this fullness in Christ if we obey what God is showing us. So like many of you have played sports growing up, and the, the sport that ended up playing the most was tennis. And so, in like a lot of sports, tennis, the most, you know, the most basic player can become pretty good, actually, if he has, or he or she has a good mentor or coach. Right? That's, that's true in a lot of sports. So, if you got a good mentor, you got a good coach, somebody with pretty basic abilities can become even great. So, today, Paul grabs his whistle. Okay, coaching makes a difference. Paul grabs his whistle, comes to us today to coach us. And those of us who listen to the Holy Spirit's teaching through Coach Paul today will enjoy much more freedom and joy in the Christian life, okay? So last week, Paul showed us the implications of dying with Christ, and today we're going to see the implications of having been risen with Christ. So look with me in Colossians 3, 1 to 11. Let's read. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on this earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming." In these two, y'all used to be like this. Y'all used to walk in these things when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Put all that away from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here in this church, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, look that up, that's how you say it, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Verse one starts with if then. So since, everything we've already talked about in chapters one and two, since y'all are serious about following Jesus, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Seek what? The things that are above, where Christ is. He goes on in verse two to say, set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. So seek the things that are above and set your mind on the things that are above. 
My first observation from the text this morning is simply, I need, as a Christian, I need to seek after and set my mind on godly things. Pretty simple, right? The verb here for seek is in the present imperative. Okay, gonna get fancy this morning. So we're to seek and then keep on seeking. Okay, in this life, the things of this world seek us, don't they? They come at us left and right, but we have to intentionally set our mind on godly things, set our minds on heavenly things. But like, what are we talking about? Right, what does that mean? Like, you know, uh, Paul isn't telling us to take on a Buddhist monk-like life. Where we have to just, you know, wear beige head to toe. We don't get to drink cheer wine or anything like that. That's not what he's saying. He's coaching you to uncling yourselves from the way of this world and to cling to Christ evermore. And then we need to ask the alternate question. Well, do I, do I set my mind on things below? Do I set my mind on earthly things too often and all the time? So it's easy for us to look at like a caricature, like we think of a Wall Street guy with his slicked back hair and his suspenders, right? We think, oh man, that guy really, he sets his mind on things of this world. He's really after money. I'm glad I'm not like that guy, right? It's easy for us to do that. So we could overlook this teaching or we could really, I think in our tradition, we could overreact to this teaching. Like one of the things that Jesus says in Matthew, he says, I know what he says, lay up your treasure in heaven. Right, so we can, we can almost overreact and go, you know, I, I shouldn't even think about money. I shouldn't even think about my bank account, right? Because I'm setting my mind on things above. I'm, so like my, my kids, my big kids are going to camp this summer. That costs money, okay? And my wife just had her birthday a week, week and a half ago. I know when it was. And so I bought her a present. I'm paying for my kids to go to camp. And so I can't go, hey, kids, I wanted to send you to summer camp. You know, I did, but, you know, dad's treasure's in heaven, right? Hey, but I, Courtney, I really wanted to buy you a present, but you know, you know I've been laying my treasure up, right? You know how I'd be. Okay, no, that, that's not gonna do. I'm not, love, I'm not fulfilling other calls in my life if I never think about, if I never plan finances and I don't ever spend money on the earth. So the, but what Paul is teaching us and coaching us is to seek things above or to set your mind on things above is about prioritizing God's agenda, that you're seeking first his kingdom and you find yourself kind of thinking about his character. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. There's this story about a famous comedian in the 1950s, Jack Benny. I'd never heard of him before. I read this story this week. So Jack Benny, he, so he was known as this, uh, so he was a really rich guy, you know, kind of filthy rich, but he was known to not spend a penny, okay? He was, a, he was frugal. He was a miser. He wouldn't spend any money. And so this rich guy wouldn't spend any money. One time he was, uh, an armed robber came at gunpoint, and said, your money or your life? And there was this long pause as Jack Benny didn't say anything. And the arm robber goes, well? And Jack Benny goes, don't rush me, I'm thinking. Okay? And so millions of us, <laughs> you see that, where, that, where that joke hit? Millions of people today think that things are their life. You know, they, we, I'll say we, set our minds on things below. You know, most of our spending today is really about identity, not about need. But not setting, you know, not setting our minds on earthly things goes way past money and material stuff and extends to going after championships and accolades and likes and retweets and honors and awards and all these other advancements that we chase after to the point that it clouds our view of God. So what we set our minds on determines our seeking and ultimately determines the direction of our lives. And God loves us enough to go, hey, 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 stay focused on me. Hey, 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 back up here. Back up here, look at me. He loves us enough to do that. Maybe it'd be good for you as you kind of walk out of here and live this out this week, maybe just to start by praying, Lord, you know, I wanna set my mind on you today. Just start there. I wanna set my mind on you today. Look at, again at verse three. 
Paul says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I love this verse. This is a very special Bible verse to me. Uh, I would encourage you, I encourage you to write it down and even memorize it this week, set your mind on it this week. Uh, in my first year of seminary, a mentor of mine, one of my close friends today, a mentor of mine said, you know, hey, what's your, he asked me, what's your life verse? I never heard of that term before. So he kind of walked me through it. So I started studying the scriptures, kind of trying to figure out what is my life verse? What's a, what's a verse that kind of gives me, that I go back to with my purpose and that I go with the mission of my life? What is that? And I landed on this verse, that my life is hidden with Christ in God, that I have died, and I, my life is hidden with Christ in God. I, in fact, I almost got the Greek word for hidden in this verse tattooed on my shoulder in my first year of seminary, which is like, if you don't know seminary stereotypes, that is like the first year seminary student stereotype, okay? Like the really serious guys go Hebrew, okay? But I didn't do it, mom, if you're watching, I, I didn't get the tattoo, okay? I chickened out. But, but here's some good news for you today. You've died. The, the old you is gone. You've given your life away. I got three kids, the best kids in the world. They're so great. And my youngest is named Judah. One of my best friends is the, the Lion of Judah, so got that name there. Good. Thank you guys for being with me today. So... He's one, one year old, and he's learning everything right now, right? So he's learning how to talk, and he's eating us out of house and home. You know, he's, he's everywhere. And so every day when I leave the house, he'll say, bye, Daddy. It's the sweetest thing, right? Except that he messes up the pronunciation just a little bit, and he'll go, die, Daddy. All <laughs> right. Actually, I brought you a video. Bye, Judah. Bye, Judah. Let's watch it 17 more times. I'm kidding. Don't. <laughs> that would be better than it. So, it's, that, that's what he does. And this is a simple illustration. I want you to remember that video this week, okay? Because that's, that's the deal. Old you is gone. Die, everybody. That, that's the message today. That's the reality. If you're a Christ follower, you have given your life away. That's the deal. Hey, listen to me. The good news today is that Je because Jesus died our death, we get to live his life. That's what we get to live in tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday this week in his life. And I love what Rick Warren says about this verse. He says that my life is hidden with Christ in God. And then Ephesians 1 adds that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So no matter what you do, not even you, nobody can break through the Trinity for you to lose your salvation. You are secure in God's hands today and forevermore because God, you are secure in his hands. In the Hey, thanks. So Paul goes from promising that your past and present are secure to describing our future in verse four, that when Jesus returns, that we'll be with him in glory forever. Now remember, these Colossians, these people, they were insignificant ex-pagans in a third-rate country town who will be seen in glory and brought there by the King of kings and Lord of lords. Isn't that great? So right now we're hidden verse three, but then we will appear, verse four, with him in glory. Rest in that assurance, man. And no matter what comes at you in your life, you can rest in that hope today and the rest of your life. So my second observation from the text today is my life as a Christian, my life and my future are secure in God's hands. That's good news. Look at verses five and six again. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So Paul is not playing around today. 
okay? Uh, God is serious about your purity. He really is. In the early church, whenever they would baptize a new believer, the person would then change from their old clothes into new all-white clothes to signify and show the purity of life that they were now entering. So your purity flows out of your seeking and your thinking. That's his point. Being comes before doing. You must kill what is earthly in you. Put it to death, he says. We are not of this world. We have another home. So much of what we even pray for nowadays is really more for earth, earthly comfort and things below than things, you know, we'll pray, you know, oh God, uh, that you would, you know, just like the children of Israel in the desert seeking the promised land, I need you to deliver this raise for me right now. This is the kind of thing that we'll pray, right? So instead of praying for more comfort, instead of praying for more stuff, maybe pray that that sexual immorality in your heart is dead. Maybe pray about your tendency to gossip. Maybe uh, pray that you're more willing to be generous with the earthly possessions that God has already given you. Uh, Verse 5 says to put any sexual immorality to death in your life. Kill it. There is no place for this in the church. You know, most problems today in America stem from sexual immorality. Think about it. Uh, Fatherlessness, broken homes, sex trafficking, foster care crisis, all these things, on and on we could go. When people shirk God's commands, brokenness and chaos ensue. That's the way the world is designed. He says, too, to kill impurity. This summer, I'm teaching my daughter, Taylor, how to have a quiet time. It's been a really cool thing. She just finished the first grade, so she can read now. And so, you know, we went to the store. She already had a Bible. We went to the store, and she got to pick out a cool journal. You know, so we'll just kind of sit, and she'll read a few verses, and she'll make observations. She'll notice things in the text. And so, you know, like we'll read John 3, 16, and I'll say, hey, what did you notice? And she'll say, God loves me. You know, I'll be like, great, write that down. So last week we were reading Philippians, and I said, hey, what did you notice in the verse? And she wrote down, God wants me to be pure. I thought, how simple. You know, how, how it's often simpler than we make it. Well, what about this? What about this? What about, you know, what about this? Listen, God wants you to be pure. He wants us to be pure. Um, We live in a time where all of a sudden, a call to purity seems impure. You know, a call to purity seems judgmental or harsh or outdated. We live in a time and space where the chief virtue, the highest perceived good is individual freedom. What people think they want, okay, is to do whatever they wanna do. People today, a lot of us included, think that freedom is found in choosing whatever they want, but freedom is found in obedience to God. The world thinks that we're lame, that we're uncool for agreeing with God and fleeing from sexual immorality. They think we're lame because of that, and that's okay. You know, Russell Moore recently said, on the wrong side of history, we started on the wrong side of history, a Roman empire and a cross, Rome's dead and Jesus is fine. The world seems, the world thinks that we're ridiculous or outdated, and that's fine. It really is, it's okay. It may, seem not, it may seem like it's not okay, but it really is okay. And sometimes I think we think that we're doing people a favor if we go, hey, you know what, to each his own. You know, sleep with who you wanna sleep with, lie at work if it gets you out of a jam, and you do you, I'm not here to, and you do you, okay? But we're helping people drink damnation if we call impure things pure. So we gotta stand here. We, we have to be these things first, okay? And then we have to stand here. Um, And before you think I'm only talking about that old lost world out there, please realize that Paul wrote this to a local church just like we have right here. So when you sin, when you walk in impurity, you're inviting pain and chaos and loneliness into your life. And it's crazy to me how we think that we know better than God. 
You know, that's, that's what we're doing when we know the truth and then we still do it. We think we know better than God. We'll think, we'll go, hey, yeah, God says to kill impurity and kill sexual immorality in our lives, but a little bit of pornography is okay. Everybody's doing it, right? Scientific research shows that pornography changes your brain, quite literally. That porn literally creates neural pathways that, re, that rewire your brain in a way that addicts you and changes you. Uh, and did you know that the women you're using on that screen have some of the saddest and most heartbreaking stories and past childhoods in the world? Uh, I heard a pastor interview a woman who was saved out of that industry, and uh, she said every woman she knew, she was in the industry for a while, she knew a lot of women in the industry, every woman she knew in that industry was abused as a child, most of them by a family member. And then we unlock our screens and use those precious people made in God's image. God help us. Paul says to kill evil desire in your heart. Evil desire is the state which precedes lust. And so make no mistake about it, desire is a firework, right? And so many of us watched or or shot fireworks this past week. Uh, Fireworks, or I mean, desire is like a firework. Desires handled wisely can light up the night sky, a wonderful thing, right? But desires handled poorly can burn the neighborhood down, okay? So it matters how we handle and manage our desires. And so here to put something to death, you gotta cut off all lines of supply. We're not talking about hedging. Okay, Paul isn't coaching us to kind of lock these wild animals of hatred and lust into a, into a, you know, a box and just kind of put it off into the closet and, and within arms. That's not what he's saying, okay? We're, not, we're talking about nothing short of destroying these sins in our lives. Some of y'all need to cut off the internet at your house. Some of y'all need to switch to a flip phone, okay? You know, we actually lived without cell phones about 15 years ago. <laughs> Okay, so some of, some of us can do with just throwing them away, right? Uh, some of us need to get off, we're about to talk to, about covetousness in a second. Some of us need to get off of Instagram and Facebook altogether because it's a breeding ground for, covet, for covetousness in our hearts, right? So if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. Jesus said that, okay? And he was serious about sin. And I think we should be really serious about our sin as well. Paul says, like I just mentioned, to kill covetousness because it's nothing short of idolatry. Covetousness is kind of a big word. It just means to covet, right? To want something that someone else has. And Paul mentioning coveting at the end of a list of sexual sins is significant, right? Uh, it's really another form of the same evil desire. A lot of times, and you, you see this a lot in pastoral ministry, when sensuality loses its grip on someone's heart, materialism jumps right in to their heart. And so, and let me just tell you, man, covetousness is real on the streets of these suburbs. Okay, we are, we are really eat up with it here. Any of you have that friend where everything good just falls in their lap? You know what I'm talking about? Just me. Okay, good. Good. Well, then let me just confess some stuff then. So I have this buddy. Great guy. Truly, he's a great guy. But like, you know, he, he never works out. He eats terribly. And he's got a six-pack, right? He's in his 30s. So it shouldn't happen. But so, you know, and he married this great girl. And after they got engaged, he realized that her family has vacation homes in Florida and Colorado. Just happened, right? You know, these crazy opportunities are just kind of always finding him, right? And so... I've chosen to be happy for him, really. I have chosen that. It may not sound like it now. Deep down in my flesh, maybe, maybe, in my past, I wanna go, I have outworked that dude every day of my life, man. You know, in my wicked heart, maybe it's easy for me to see what he has and think, I deserve that. Not him, I deserve that, man. So, when I find out somebody gave him NFL tickets for no reason, random example, okay, (laughs) 
I say, and you're gonna laugh at this, but this is what I really do. Man, good for him. Okay, good for him. I'm happy for him. That's gonna be fun. I just kind of speak it out there, okay, before my, my heart goes the other way. Hey, good for him. I'm happy for him. That's really good. I do my best to mean it because the second that I begin coveting anything he has, I begin doubting God's goodness. The very second that I've been going, man, that would be cool, all of a sudden I forget about how great God has been to me. Learn from your flawed campus pastor, okay? Coveting what other people have is the quickest way to faithlessness. Kill covetousness in your life. Don't let what you want keep you from what you have. You know, in the scriptures, anytime God requires something of us, it's because he wants something for us. That's a pattern all throughout scripture. He doesn't want you to lose your faith in his goodness, so he goes, hey, kill that covetousness. Hey, you know, he doesn't want you to think on things below, so he says, put that covetousness to death in your life. And that command is grace because it brings obedience, because your obedience brings life in your own life. And the antidote to coveting is being thankful. You know that? So instead of wanting what your neighbor or sister or Facebook friend has, try being thankful. Try this this week. When you feel yourself being sour or bitter or, or, or about something good that's happened to someone else, stop and think about someone you're thankful for. In fact, let's do it now, okay? Uh, think about a person who has helped you know Jesus better. Okay, it could have been last month, could have been 35 years ago, okay? Um, you got that person in your mind? For me, my grandmother comes to mind, okay? So take a moment right now and just thank God for that person. You know, it's, it's really hard for me to covet somebody else's shoes when I think about Nina Benson. Isn't it funny how that works? Nina, that's my grandmother's name. Isn't that a good grandmother named Nina, right? It's good to remember. It's good to give thanks and to be thankful. And it's a whole lot better than craving what other people have, man. The, the, the way of Jesus really ends up being better. Verse 7, Paul says, man, y'all used to be like this. Y'all remember that long, okay, long ago? Y'all used to be like this in verse eight. He says, but now there are stark changes, different desires, different lives now altogether. Verse eight says to put these things away. So he says, put to death and put away. And honestly, these are rather violent metaphors here that involve pain and effort. You know, killing naturally means a struggle, right? It naturally means tears. Jesus said to take up or carry your cross Daily. When Jesus said that, crosses were, meant, were used for one thing. I mean, they didn't have beautiful cross necklaces or use them as decoration. Nothing wrong with that, right? Because we're remembering what God did. But that the only thing, whenever he said, take up your cross, one thing came to mind for the audience, death, right? So every time you pick up your cross, it's gonna be painful. It's not like you pick up your cross one time and then you kind of start getting used to it, right? No, it's painful every single time. I liken it to getting in shape. Okay, people who are in shape are so deceitful on Instagram. Y'all are, okay? Uh, they'll be posting pictures, drenched in sweat, smiling. What are you smiling about? I don't, so, so you see that, you know, how much fun they're having, okay? And so you start working out to get in shape. You think it's gonna get easier along the way because of what they have shown you, okay, right? Two workouts go by, three, 10, because you're thinking, obviously to these people, this feels good. Okay, so at some point, I'm gonna get to that point where I'm smiling in the picture, right? Uh, so on day 11, you hop on the treadmill, ready for this just to feel great? No, pain, 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 pain all along the way. To put these desires to death, to put these sinful actions and tendencies to death requires 
focused, sometimes painful attention. That's what we're called to today, okay? And we can't shy away from that. My third observation from the text this morning is I need to take my sin seriously. As a Christian, I need to take my sin seriously. There is to be no hint of these actions or desires in our lives or in our church. You know how when you turn the lights off in a room, it's like really dark at first, right? You can't see anything. And then the longer you're in the darkness, you can kind of start seeing your hand in front of you. You can kind of start seeing just a little bit. Sin and darkness work like that. The longer you're in the sin, the longer you're in the darkness, the less dark it seems. But we need to wake up today. Wake up to the darkness that you're in. It's not a white lie. It's, it's not a little pornography problem. It's not just an innocent piece of gossip. That's not what it is. Tony Evans says one of the things that is oftentimes missing in Christianity today is the holiness of God. Somewhere along the way, we got this crazy idea that God somehow skips over sin, Right? That we can live like we want to live, do, like, do what we want to do. Come to church on Sunday after we did God knows what on Saturday, right? We need to take our sin seriously. Paul here lists anger, wrath, and malice. So you know what anger is, of course, and he's talking about sinful anger. There is a righteous anger in the Bible. He's, that's not what he's talking about. And then wrath, the wrath that he mentioned is anger boiled over. So we see this in a quick temper. And then the malice that he mentions is a viciousness of the mind. These, uh, these people, this person plans evil and even revenge and rejoices when misery falls on someone they hate. Um, you know, the two most confessed sins to me by men over the past 16 years of my ministry are lust and anger. The lust rarely surprises them, just to be honest with you, but men are so often surprised at as they confess their anger to me, as they confess that they just yelled at their wife or they showed rage in this way or that they can't get a hold of this or that, they yelled at their kids or a friend or whatever, I cannot tell you how many times this has happened in my ministry, okay? A bewildered man will tell me he yelled in rage at somebody and then he'll say this, I'm not an angry guy. I don't know where this is coming from. And he really means it, okay? You know, our God is slow to anger. It's time to put this anger away, guys. Let's work through it. So why? That's what I want you to think about. Why is that temper there? Why do you berate people? Why do you bark at your family like that? Why? Talk to someone in your connect group about it. Talk to a pastor about it. Man, we got time. We love doing that. Talk to a good biblical counselor, okay? Kevin Wimbish is all kind of great guys and ladies around here in our area. We, we let, you know, let us suggest a biblical counselor to you. That anger that you're showing is smoke, Okay, you need to do the work of getting down to the fire to realize why that is in your heart, what that anger stems from in your heart, and you need to repent. Pray every single morning, God, help me put away my sin tendency of anger today, every day. Um, you know, when I respond to my children in anger and frustration, it's rarely about them and more about whatever idol of mine they've disturbed, be it comfort or control or whatever it might be. When a surge of anger comes over you, Instead of giving into your earthly desires, seek things above. When you feel a tide of lustful passion come over you, set your minds on things above. You know how many people you're going to bark at in heaven? You know how many lies you're going to tell in heaven? Zero, okay. You know how many times you're going to gossip in heaven? These are all earthly things, man. Set your mind on things above. Paul finishes his listing of sins here by telling us to avoid obscene talk 
and not to lie to one another. And I'm always just kind of struck that he lists lying and gossip and obscene talk along with anger and sexual immorality, right? Your words matter. These things are to be put away from your mouth. You know, we can't always control what pops into our heads, right? I mean, we can, we can kind of get that a little bit, but we can't always control what pops into our heads, but we can control whether or not it, it comes out of our mouth. We need to put it away before it comes out of our mouth or through our thumbs in a text or post. Here in Colossians 3, Paul, he, he lists two sets of sins, right? Some relating to sexual sin and some relating to anger and speech. Most Christians tend to focus on one list or the other, right? Like I know of churches who would not tolerate, you know, any hint of sexual promiscuity, but they are nests of malicious gossip, right? While other churches are so focused on getting along that they never call out each other's sin in the name of harmony or love. And the gospel leaves no room for either. Paul says to put off or kill sexual immorality and covetousness, evil attitudes like anger and malice, evil speech like slander, deception, lying, all these things. And why must we put these things off? Because we have, verse 10 says, a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. And because we have new relationships. Look at verse 11, I love this verse. Here in this church, there is not Greek and Jew. Circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So to put this into context, the Greeks looked down on the circumcised nationalism of the Jews. The Jews looked at these Greeks as just elitist pagans. Barbarian is a word used by the Greeks for anybody who didn't speak Greek, okay? And Scythians were extreme examples of barbarians, known as little more than savages at the time. And they're all in one church together, okay? So these groups that Paul listed were groups that would fight with each other because the world told them they hated each other, right? So Paul is not saying that differences don't exist. Hey, let's just be colorblind, man. Hey, let's just act like we're all the same. That's not what, that's not what Paul's saying, okay? But the differences of background, class, color, language, borders are irrelevant when it comes to loving each other respecting each other, honoring each other. So before we come under these earthly divisions or titles, you know, maybe you're from a different country in here. I've met church members from Belarus, Moldova, El Salvador, Honduras, Mexico, Russia, all over the world. So before you're Salvadoran and I'm American, we're under Christ. Before you're rich and I'm poor, we are in Christ. Instead of Republican and Democrat, we are under Christ. Instead of the divisions the world puts on us to divide and separate us, we have uncommon unity because Christ is all and in all. I love that y'all clap there because it shows your heart. Uh, when we idolize our group, we just kind of naturally demonize the other group. You know, so one group looks at the other and says, hey, we took a vote and we're good and you're bad. And the other group goes, actually, we voted, and you're bad, and we're good. Let's fight, right? That's the world's way, man. Jesus upends that nonsense and takes away those divisions and calls us to love, respect, and honor, no matter what. And, you know, think of the diversity we have in this church, man. Ages, races, ethnicities, political affiliations, religious backgrounds. Some of y'all like that nasty vinegar-based barbecue. A lot of us like the tomato base. All kind of different people in the room, right? And then God brings us together and says, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. Good. Now go love each other and grow together. So as we land the plane today, let's quickly consider how do we seek the things above and set our minds on things above. I want to give you just a, kind of a three kind of quick 
rhythmic, sustainable ways to put into your life? Because that's really Paul's point here. He has now transitioned from theology to rubber meets the road. Here's what it looks like. So maybe you've jotted down some different things as we've been talking today, but I've got a few things. It all starts with recognizing our position in Christ, that he is Lord and that we are in him, right? So the first thing, this could be, <laughs> this could be an application every week, but a daily quiet time with the Lord. I, don't, I won't give you all the statistics about, oh, a lot of Christians don't do this, although that's true. But this is really where your Christian walk, this is how it's sustained. It's how it keeps going. It's how you hear from the Lord. The Bible is the primary way that God speaks today. This is how you walk. So I'll just tell you how I do it. I told you before, but I find a quiet space in the morning, okay? Bible, notepad and pen, cup of coffee. That's all I got, Okay. Get my phone to the side, and I'll read. Typically, I'll read about a chapter a day. A lot of people try to read through the Bible in a year. Uh, I, I typically spend a little more time in the text, one chapter a day or so, sometimes more, sometimes less. Anyway, so I'll, I'll read through the chapter. I'm in Romans right now, and I'll just make observations. I'll just write out. I'll just notice important words, and I'll kind of follow the logic and different things. And so I'll just write things out. I'll write out questions. I'll try to write out a specific measurable application just for me, not for y'all, not for my family, just for me. Every single day, that way that I can live out what, what God is teaching in his word that day. And then uh, I'll pray. And for me, I don't know if you're like this, but the reading comes easier than the praying. And so I, just as a personal goal, I pray longer than I read. That's, that's not in the Bible. That just helps me to make sure that I pray a little more than just kind of comes naturally. So that's the first way to live this out, to set your mind on things above. And, and by doing this most days, you become heavenly minded, right? You become saturated with the word to the extent that it changes you slowly but surely. As you set your mind on things above, your thinking changes, your heart changes, you change, right? Purposefully, Jesus came as a teacher, not an army general, Okay. Uh, truth is his weapon to set people free. So study his word, know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Second thing, I probably could have worded this better, but interrupt your day to reset your mind. It's kind of clunky, sorry. But So what I mean by that is this week while you're at work, just kind of plan a couple of times to stop and think and pray. Maybe it's 30 seconds, maybe it's two minutes. Maybe you have an, an office job, you can take a two-minute walk and pray to reset your mind on things above. Maybe you go, hey, I'm going to take a 30 seconds, pull my chair back, and just pray, God, in the next meeting, I need, your, I need your wisdom, I need your grace, I need you. I want to focus on you as I have my next meeting. God, I want to focus on you as I do this next thing. God, I want to focus on you as I live through you today. So just interrupt your day a few times a day, a couple times a day, this week, just to reset your mind and think on things above, to seek things above in, in your day. And the last thing is to replace something. Okay, so here's what I mean. Like, I check Twitter a lot. Okay. Judge me if you want to. There's nothing inherently wrong with it, okay? I know there's not. I love Twitter, honestly. I, it's where I get my news. It's where I track where Kawhi's going. I can't believe it's the Clippers. It's crazy. Let's talk about it after. Okay, so y'all are into it. I can tell. So before, you know, but if I'm checking Twitter before I read the Bible and pray, or if I'm checking Twitter when I really need to pray for a few minutes about the next meeting or the next thing coming up, it becomes problematic. So I don't know where I learned this. Somebody showed me this. But I'll do what's called an app swap. So on my phone, like where my Twitter app typically is, I'll put the Bible app there. So instinctively, I'm trying to check Twitter, and the Bible app comes up, and I'll seek, and I'll seek the things above, and I'll read a couple of verses, right? So you can, do, you can do that. So replace something that helps you seek things above, to set your mind on things above. Maybe you listen to music or news in the car. Maybe replace that with good worship music or podcast or sermon, or turn all of it off and ride in some silence and pray, right? 
on your daily commute, maybe instead of watching TV or Netflix on Thursday nights, like you pick a night of the week, instead of watching TV that night, you set all that aside and you read a good book about Jesus. We, we got good ones in the lobby, you can su- suggest some, but change something you regularly do and replace it with something that helps you focus on Christ, okay? And so as you apply these truths of killing your sin and seeking the things which are above, the overarching truth is to set your heart and affections on Jesus, who is the author and finisher of your faith. He is better than anything the world can offer you, okay? He is worthy of your life. Last week, I was upstairs at the house and I called down on my kids and uh, they could barely hear me because their TV was too loud, okay? And they made no effort (laughs) to come and hear what I was trying to say, okay? So I got a little bit louder. I was sweet, don't worry. I got a little bit louder and I said, kids, if you can't hear me, change what you're doing so you can hear my voice. And I go, okay, Lord, teach me. Okay, I understand what you're trying to, so if you can't hear the Father's voice, change what you're doing. If you can't see where he's going, it's not that he's not seeking you. It's not that he doesn't want to be in community with you. You got to change what you're doing so that you could be locked eyes with him. He'll get a little louder if he needs to. Okay, trust me on that one. So my advice is to seek things that are above and to set your mind on him. Let's pray together.